You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Matt Jones filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. 90 minutes tonight, we're taking you into the Mavs-Warriors game as Dallas tries to see if they could extend that series. Warriors hoping for a sweep and an extra long break. Um, Terrible news in the world today, and uh, there's not much for us to say about it except that we're heartbroken, and we're going to try to give you a sports show and give you some things to think about. Um, Plenty to get into, Matt. Uh, Let's just make it Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, because there's no way to talk about last night's game without giving it straight to the heat. Hoo boy, that was ugly. The statistics that came out of that game... um, are the stuff of nightmares for a team, particularly the starters. A combined 7 for 36 from Miami starters, 1 for 10 from three-point range, uh, 18 total points in the game for the Heat starters. That's the fewest by any starting five in a playoff game since tracking began. How do you explain shooting 19% in an Eastern Conference Finals game? Well, there's no explanation. It's it's an it's an awful percentage. The Celtics defense was was very good, but that doesn't explain that. The, the point the point of 18 points by the starters <laughs> yeah. is it, it, that's one of those statistics that you look back on and you you'll look back on in like 30 years and, and somebody will score 25 starters and you'll go 18. What in the world happened <laughs> right. in that game, right? right? And 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 so having watched it. It was just a complete domination. This series, to me, Sarah, has been one of the most ridiculous basketball series I've ever mm. seen at any level. Because Ugly. you've had four mm-hmm. games, none of which have been close, except at the very end twice, and both of which have been won by effort. And you never think when you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, effort is going to be the issue. But I do feel like in both the in all four of these games, one team came out ready to play, the other one didn't, and the result has followed that la- that first quarter every single time. Yeah, it's kind of funny because the the takes about this series alternate between what we heard from, say, Mike Breen last night, which was, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say about a series <laughs> that has had, you know, there have been 22 blowouts of 20 or more points in this playoffs, second most of all time, and we haven't even gotten to the finals yet, and we haven't even finished these series. It, it, this The extremes in this playoff run have been incredible, but Mike Breen is either speechless, I don't know, and then... Tim Bontemps was on the Low Post podcast today and said, this isn't, there's no mystery to me here. As long as the Celtics don't turn the ball over and make you beat them in the half court, they're going to win. And and that's something that Kendrick Perkins touched on today on Keyshawn J. Will and Matt. It's something I talked about on the show last night. If the Celtics protect the ball, you cannot beat them in the half court, particularly with an offensive hobble players, which is what the Heat had. Here's Perk. Pathetic. And I, and I say pathetic because, that half-court offense is just so horrible, right? If, like, if the Miami Heat not turning turning you over and getting out in transition and getting deflections and things to that nature, they do not get easy baskets. The Celtics shot 39% from the field, 23% from three. Jalen Brown was 5 for 20, mm. and the Celtics won by 20 points last night. That just tell you how bad – offensively, the Miami Heat are, and they have four sets. And so the Celtics, they took care of the basketball. They took they took care of the rebounding. And all of a sudden, when you take away the, those things where the Miami Heat can't jump up the game, they're going to struggle offensively. 
Yeah, I mean, that sums up a lot of this game. So does the injuries, though, Matt. I mean, you you know Jimmy Butler's not all together there. Um, you know Kyle Lowry hasn't been the entire postseason. You look at the guys who have been in and out, the difference it makes when the Celtics have Robert Williams, bam, with Williams out, 31 points, 10 boards, 6 assists, 4 steals. Bam, when Robert Williams is playing, 8 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, no steals. I mean, that's a huge difference just there. Yeah, the wrong two teams are in this, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, no, I mean that. Dallas and Miami are not good enough to be in these series. Now, with that said, all credit to them that they're here. Miami's here because they had a great regular season, and they deserve accolades for that. Dallas is here because they put forth a great upset to get here. But there's a reason, Sarah, in March Madness I always say, I want the little teams to win in the first round, but then I don't want them to keep yes. winning. I mm-hmm. want to get to the big teams when we get to the Final Four because I don't want to have bad games. I think what you've seen here is, let's all be real, it would have been better if this was the Suns in Milwaukee. They right. would have been better. The games would have been better. The level of play would have been better. And those were the best four teams. What Luka well, did with Chris Dallas. Paul showed up. Yeah, but well, and what Luca did with Dallas is impressive, and this Miami team got fortunate by the fact that they were the best team in the regular season. But this team's just not as good. Boston is significantly better, and when the, it's Perk is exactly right when they play, and as you said, when they play defense and when they give effort, they will win. And now they just have to do it one more time on the road to make up for their clunker in Game Three. Yeah, I will say, uh, I think it was Tatum after the game who said we shouldn't have to get the break speed off us basically to respond like this, and I will agree with that. Part of the reason this series has been so unpredictable is it does feel like a team needs to get worked in order to get themselves up for the next one. And when you're the Celtics, you shouldn't have a game like they did the game before this one where you just lose it in the first quarter. You can't keep up. I think, obviously, Adoka, you've got better adjustments. Uh, You didn't really need him last night, though, I guess, because the the Heat were so abysmal that even without shooting particularly well or having everything working perfectly, uh, the Celtics still ran away with it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Matt Jones. You can follow him at KY Sports Radio. Um, That sense of urgency should probably be there in the next game, too, with a chance to put the heat away but there's no guarantees at this point like you know um understanding that at any time you could get you could get uh cold and lose it should be enough motivation for them not to need to trade it again but at 2-2 it 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 feels like the series is all boston's but there's no guarantee of that yeah, it does, but I said the same same thing at 1-1, right? I didn't think right. there was any way they'd lose game three. Not so much last night, but I do think one of the things we've seen, the last 17 games in these playoffs in terms of chrono- chronology have been won by at least six points or more, mm. and most of them have been won by 10 or 12 points or more. Now, why is that? Well, I, I, you know, there are many theories. I'm sure people smarter than me will talk figure it out in the offseason, but, Sarah, I think part of it is – the way the three-point shot has become such a huge factor in the NBA, I mean, it's it's the most important thing now. It does lead to a high degree of variance between outcomes because if you hit five or six more threes than the other team, it's very hard, if not impossible, for that other team to win. So a lot of it, to me, if you go out and shoot 42% from three in a game instead of 27%, that's a difference of three out of 20 shots. But it's a huge difference in score. And I think what we're seeing in a lot of these games is the team that comes out, gives effort, and makes threes, wins, and then they end up winning by a lot because shooting is contagious. I, I, I think that 
we're going to see more of this. I worry that as the years go on and the three-pointer becomes more and more of a huge part of this, these outcomes where you see a team lose by 30 and then win by 30 are just things we're going to see more often. I think you're right sometimes, but last night is the game that's already ready to prove you wrong. The Heat were 14 of 36 from three. They shot almost 40%, and the Celtics were 8 of 34. Almost they were. And that, and half last as many threes made. And last last night is a, is a difference, but that was because the Heat shot historically terrible from two at various from points during the right. game. So, I mean, that yes, it, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. But I'm just trying to figure out in my mind the bigger pattern of why you're getting these massive var- – I cannot remember a, se- a, a playoffs where every game, Sarah, it feels like the next game had nothing to do with right. the game before. Yeah. It, they yeah. might as well be just different series. In terms I of just personnel re- as well because yeah, of the I just don't in and out – Turnstile nature of, of injuries that have affected this series. That's a huge part of it. That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Tonight, the Mavs are going to try to make that series a little more interesting. That one has, despite some pretty big swings, ended up going the Warriors' way in every game. And Tim McMahon was on NBA Today and basically said, they're not even thinking about the series. They're just thinking about getting a win. They understand that no team in NBA history has come back from 3-0 to win a series. They're not worried about making history right now. They, they're worried about winning a game. They're worried about extending the season in which they've taken major strides forward. And Jason Kidd has really emphasized that this is just the start of the process for the Mavericks of, of building a consistent contender and re- really see some value in the educational experience of this series. Mm, we're going educational experience. That's when you know it's over. We'll get <laughs> such, into that game. That's so game. ridiculous, Sarah, oh, yeah, because they, these rosters sad. change. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're all in this like we're in eighth grade moving to ninth yeah. grade. Stop The it. education is the same learning lesson they've had every year, which is you need to put more around Luca if you want to do more than what you've done. Uh, coming up, lots of stories, not a lot of time. We're going to do quickies. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We got a short show tonight because we're taking you right up to Mavs Warriors, Golden State trying to finish off that series. Mavs trying to make it a little more interesting. Would be real interesting if they actually won it. Never happened in NBA history, but not going to happen this time either, you, Sarah. It's you you got to no get chance. one win. You got to get one win to give yourself a chance. Spain and Fitz. That's Matt Jones. He's in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Like I said, just an hour and a half tonight. We got a couple guests coming up to talk Heat, Celtics, and some NHL stories. So to get everything else in, we got to do it the only way we know how, and that's quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. We don't do anything subtle around here. Let's start with the NFL reports today again for the millionth time that they will be addressing the Pro Bowl, trying to figure out how they can make it more interesting. The problem with the Pro Bowl, of course, is that it gets great ratings even though it sucks, and everyone admits it sucks. Well, they don't want to just get rid of it because it's an honor for the players. People like to take trips to fancy places. And again, the ratings. But they've included the possibility of eliminating the tackle game, maybe flag football, maybe find a way to focus on the players in another way. Matt, I go to you to fix the Pro Bowl. What do you do? 
You know, the Pro Bowl is a little like that old comedy King of Queens. It gets great ratings, but everybody knows it sucks, and so you can't right. do anything about right. it. You just have to keep putting it on the I air. I feel that way about Big Bang Theory. I'm like, but how? Uh, who why? likes Big Bang Theory? I've who? never I, – I, I don't know one person Those that watches it. Those are like the it. richest humans in the history of television. I even had a friend that had a guest starring role, and I feel bad when I make fun of it, but I tried once, and I was like, it's, but how and why? It, I don't even <laughs> laugh – I don't even laugh accidentally during the Big Bang Theory. But nevertheless <laughs> – I, look, the Pro Bowl is awful. There's a couple reasons why. One, they don't take it seriously. And two, the season's over. It's like, why would you have an event that people care about after the Super Bowl? They got to do something, though. You had this idea. I don't want to steal it because I want you to get credit for it. But you said in the production meeting that you thought something like they used to do on TV, the old superstars competition yes. where you would have the athletes go against each other in non-football things. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I loved that when I was a kid. You'd see, like – you know, John McEnroe versus Ken Griffey Jr. in ping pong. Like, that's the kind of thing I would like. Just have the football players do other sports. I would watch that in a heartbeat, and I think it's more likely the Tom Brady's of the world would actually show up and do it. I totally agree. We love an athlete fish out of water story where we get to see someone playing a sport we don't know if they're good at or not. And superstars, for those who were not old enough to watch, the list of athletes that competed is Awesome and insane. Hank Aaron, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, Lyle Alzado, that's a name from back in the day. Wow, Nate Lyle Archibald. Alzado. Yeah. Uh, Desi Arnaz, by the way, somehow. Arthur Ashe. Um, hang on, hang on just a second. Desi uh, Arnaz. Desi Arnaz. What, what sport did he I play? I don't know why, but it says just celebrity. Are you sure you're not talking about I'm, Battle of the Network stars? No, no, this is superstars. I don't know okay. how he got in there. He's the only, quote, celebrity I've seen in here that isn't an athlete. Uh, Ernie Telly Banks, Sabalis. Tiki right, Barber. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it is it was a really fun show. So presuming that you could keep it mostly safe and healthy and, and pre- prevent injury, I would tune in for that. The same way I, uh, when the Pro Bowl is on, I actually tune in sometimes for the passing and catching competition skills challenge stuff, but I don't tune in for the game itself. All right, next story. Quickies. Last night while I was hosting this here show, my social media was blowing up with people reacting to the start of the Aces game as they absolutely dominated the Sparks. I don't know if this was the thanks for playing Liz Cambage, hope you enjoy your new team game, but they absolutely worked the Sparks last night to the tune of a franchise record and WNBA record tie of most three-pointers made in a game, 18 of them. Here's a little what it sounded like on number 18. And the three, Shepard recognizes. That just happened over and over again. Five players in double digits. They shot 50% from the field. Um, and I think it was some gross number, like they had 44 points in the first 11 minutes of the game. And this was happening, by the way, almost simultaneously or just before uh, the Heat managed to not score for the first nine minutes of their game. And I was thinking they should probably ship some of those Aces players down, help Miami out a little bit. That certainly would have helped. Can I ask you a WNBA question? Because I didn't yeah. see this game. Yeah, yeah. I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Kentucky, and we had right. Ryan Howard here for four yes. years, and she was awesome to watch. And now she's with Atlanta, and I saw that in her first four games, she set the record for most points by a rookie to combine in their first four games in the history yeah. of the league. Like, is is my girl Ryan, who I have watched forever, who's awesome? Is she going to be? You think the next big star there? It sure feels like it. And what's crazy about that, Matt, is in this league, because everyone's calling for expansion, it's hard just to make a roster 
as a drafted player. Players drafted in the first round of the WNBA don't even make a roster. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, and Ryan steps in and she's like, make a roster. How about set a bunch of records at every single game and look like I'm an old pro? She's been crushing. And it makes sense that the Dream traded up to go ahead and pick first so they could get her because they obviously saw that she was going to be able to do that. All right, next story. Quickies. In addition to the Sparks, who have won five in a row and are atop the power rankings for the WNBA, my Chicago Sky are about to get hot, Matt. And here's why. This was a team that has added Emma Meesman in the offseason, so they now have three WNBA Finals MVPs on one roster. Kalia Copper was overseas winning her third MVP and third championship in the last calendar year. She's back with the team now. They needed to add her back in. Candace Parker just became the oldest player in WNBA history to hit a triple-double. She's got multiple triple-doubles in her career, and tonight they are getting their rings for the victory last year, which I think is only going to give them that extra bit of swagger to start to uh, remind everybody that as tough as it is to repeat, they are stacked well, congrats! It's congrats to your Chicago Sky. Thank you. I, when Thank I you. when I saw the other day that Candace Parker had a triple double, I thought I was watching Candace Parker when I was a child. I yeah. cannot believe she's that she's still around. getting triple doubles. <laughs> I mean, Candace Parker—that's a name I literally remember. Like, I feel like we were in college at the same time, or mm-hmm. maybe before. Like. Kudos to her. I mean, I'm lucky if I can go outside and not fall down, and she's still dropping triple doubles. <laughs> a big salute from me. That's how I feel about uh, Sue Bird every single year because Sue Bird's been the oldest player in the league for like four I years. She running was going to retire like the last five no. years. She still the keeps last going. Week, she's still going, and she's so good. All right, next story. Quickies. All right, Ryan Hockensmith, our guy here at ESPN, wrote a story today asking if Tom Cruise is in fact an elite runner based on his Instagram profile saying something like actor has been running in movies for, you know, 40 years or whatever it is. And professional runners said, yes, Tom Cruise is a convincing runner. We don't want to talk about convincing runners, though. We want to talk about the worst actors trying to portray athletes in movies. At Spain and Fitz, at KY Sports Radio, at Sarah Spain, you tell us the least convincing actor portrayals of athletic human beings in history. There is a list, and we'll get them from you. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance makes bundling home and auto easy. Learn more at Progressive.com. Coming up, did the Celtics take back all the momentum in the East or are we expecting a more of a roller coaster of this series as we go on? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So do the Celtics just need to get their butts whooped to show up? Because yesterday's response and how they've fared in this postseason and over the last four months, minus one game where they intentionally tanked and sat all their starters back in March, they are 11-0 and with some crazy point differential, 18-plus points. I'm sure it's higher now after last night's butt-whooping after a loss. So we'll ask our next guest if they need to keep alternating. It's not going to go well for them if they do. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Matt Jones, and for Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Boston Globe National NBA writer Gary Washburn joins us now. Gary, I mean, I think Jason Tatum said it best. They shouldn't have to get absolutely embarrassed to come out strong like they did last night. How do, how do they do that two nights in a row? That's the big question, Sarah. But in between games uh, four and five now is how do the Celtics respond when it's obvious Miami's going to make some adjustments. They're going to come home to the home cooking, the great weather of Miami, and they're going to play obviously a spirited game. And how do the Celtics respond to that 
with one of their own. That's the biggest thing. Not any physical adjustments, but the mental adjustments to respond to prosperity because this team has not been very good with prosperity so far this postseason. It seems like to me in this series, well, not just in this series, in most of these playoffs, that like what happened the game before has seemingly no impact on the next game. There's like no ebb and flow to these series where you feel like even that there's all that many adjustments, it's just kind of one team wins by 25 and then the next night somebody else wins by 25. I'm sure you've been watching the playoffs as a whole, but even specifically in this Boston-Miami series, why do you think that is? Why has this been a series or even a playoffs where it just feels like I'm watching 51-act plays rather than a coherent narrative throughout a series? Yeah, I guess to me I think it's just every game is so analyzed, right? So playoff game happens. The next day, obviously, ESPN is, you know, get up, first take. Like, everybody analyzes it. They make the winning team feel like they're, they're the future champions. The losing team feel like they're terrible. And I think that there's just such a, a, a kind of a emotional sway. So, so the winning team comes in and thinks we have the series. The losing team thinks, well, we've got to get back and do some different things. And suddenly the winning team in the next game feels like, you know, they just do the same thing they did the game before, but they're playing a different team. G- Gary, so you want me to know better than to listen to us, man. That's what I, I was going to say. That's interesting, I mean, Gary. Do you think the players – bags up here. They shouldn't be listening to you us. You think the players actually – the coverage that, of it has an impact? I do think that they read the clippings. I do think really? they watch the shows. I, think, I do think these players know what Stephen A. and all and you guys are saying – and I do think that there's a level of, like, you take you exhale a little bit once you win a playoff mm. game. And you're right. Like, every game is this dra- drama. It's, it's a play. It's a book, a novel within itself. And, you know, then the reaction to the game and then the build-up to the next game. And it's like, I just think psychologically, because it's got to be something psychological because it's the same players playing the game. I mean, you know, how I, does kind Golden of. State lose by – how do the Warriors lose by 50 or 56 right. to Memphis in that game? Like, how does how in the world did that happen? And it's got to be psychological. Well, first of all, we're clearly clipping this off, and we're going to say the headline is Gary Washburn. Stephen A. is to blame for this absolutely terrible <laughs> series. Uh, I'd say it's just a series of runs, but the kind that keep you on the toilet all night because it's been real tough to watch when teams aren't showing up. Matt Jones, Sarah Spain, we're talking to Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. Um, I... In some part, I agree with you. There have been some explicable, inexplicable um, teams just not showing up. And the Warriors in that one game against the Grizzlies, absolutely part of it. But you said the same players are out there, and that hasn't been the case in this series. There has been a lot of in and out of the lineup because of injury, or even when guys are in there, whether it's Butler or Lowry or Smart or Tatum, they haven't always been 100%. You look at the difference, for instance, when Robert Williams is out there neutralizing Bam, and then what Bam did in the one game when Robert Williams was out, that was when he went off. And so how much can you attribute to the rhythm not being able to be something either of these teams can master because they're constantly dealing with different rosters? Yeah, that's the thing. Sarah, you just don't know from day to day. uh, Game five, Tyler Hero's likely going to be questionable. So is... You know, the Heat lists a lot of players as questionable. You know, they're fighting off injuries. Kyle Lowry's not 100%. Let's be honest. Jimmy Butler's not 100%. The same on the Boston side. Marcus Smart missed game four. Will he be back for game five? Will Robert Williams play back-to-back games on that uh, sore knee? 
Like, that is the injury stuff has definitely played a big part in the series and a lot of playoff series. But, you know, in the Milwaukee series with the Celtics, Chris Middleton, you know, was unavailable. I mean, it's just part of why, I mean, these teams are, a lot of these teams are just beat up. You know, we're talking about, you know, they're on the play in their hundredth game of the season and injuries are taking a toll. And in this series, especially where you had that wacky game three where Smart leaves and comes back, Tatum leaves and comes back, Jimmy Butler doesn't play the second half, you know, um, Tyler Hero leaves in the middle of a game, you know, at the end, the end, third quarter. I mean, it's just, it's a battle of attrition at this point. And, you know, and when the younger teams went out because Miami was having a veteran team with, with guys like Butler and Lowry and P.J. Tucker all north of 30, will that make a difference at the end of the series because the fatigue's all of a sudden going to kick in? I think that plays a factor. Talking to Gary Washburn, Boston Globe National NBA writer. I know you. So you're in Boston. I, I got to ask you about somebody uh, that I'm a hater on. All right. He, he went to Tennessee, and I had to watch him flop and flop and flop for four years with my Kentucky Wildcats. And now he's in the NBA, Grant Williams, and he's still flopping, but he's having a lot more success than I thought he would. Of course, had the big game against Milwaukee. They had the uh, the 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 mic'd up on him, and he was doing. He's so him. He was just all like intense and flopping, and it just drives me nuts. What's he like as a teammate, though? Because for an opposing fan, he can drive you crazy. But I'm sure his teammates love him. I think they do love him, Matt. But I also think uh, he could drive him crazy too, because. Grant never shuts up. Exactly. You know, I we know. heard it. Of course he does. We heard it on Mic'd Up Night. I was like, he's dang, dude, mouth. take a breath. He talks to he talks to his teammates. He talks to officials. He talks to fans. He talks to the post team. He talks, talks to everybody. Sleep. He's yeah. a great kid. And this is a guy who, um, you know, they've asked him to do a lot of things. And this offseason, he really improved his shot. He dropped a little weight because last year they were asking him to play a lot of center positions. But he's turned himself into kind of a Swiss Army knife kind of guy where he can guard two or three different positions. He can shoot from the outside. He can take players off the dribble and go to the rim. You know, as you said, Matt, he can flop a little bit. He can, he can uh, play guy, against guys like Adebayo and Giannis. So he has been a very valuable piece for them. You know, this is a guy who at Tennessee was kind of a big, burly guy on those great Tennessee teams and was kind of a scoring player it, so his, his NBA is like well is he a power forward is he a is he a three man is he you know his position at the NBA was kind of uncertain so he's turned himself into an all-purpose guy and I think that's what's made him so valuable for the Celtics is he can do a little bit of everything yeah all-purpose kind of all or nothing in this series right he's either scoring 27 exactly. or putting up six uh we're talking to Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe all right get out your uh Get out your uh, crystal ball and tell us what's happening in the next game. And if you get it right, you should get a promotion because I don't know how you predict anything in this series at this point. I think it's. I think the next game will be the most competitive game of the series. I don't think you'll see these twenty-point swings. I think both teams will take haymakers at each other. I think it will be one of the best game of the series because people. I mean, obviously, both teams know how pivotal Game Fives are of a seven-game series when it's tied at two. And what, 80% or 81% of the winners of game five eventually win the series. Uh, The Celtics have to atone and and have to try to be more consistent. The Heat want to come back from a really terrible offensive performance in game four. So I think both teams will just – this will be 
the best game by far this series. Um, the Celtics, I think, are a, a point and a half favorite. I think I'll, I think that's that's acceptable. But obviously, Miami can definitely win. Right. Hey, thanks for the time, Gary. Appreciate it. Guys, thanks a lot. Gary Washburn giving us the headlines about Stephen A. We're looking for to start a giant beef. Hmm. With first you know how happy I am, <laughs> Sarah, that he said that Grant Williams annoys his own teammates. Oh, that's, that's basically great. what he said. Because he's annoyed me for the last eight years. He's I'm glad tried. to hear it's not he's just tried. me. Uh, tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up to the Warriors. Finish off the Mavs tonight, or does Luca have some more magic in him to extend the series? We'll head to Dallas next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So uh, when I see George Sedano on the uh, on the list of guests, I just assume we're going to talk heat culture. But I guess when your team shoots nineteen percent from starters, you turn your you turn your attention to the other series. I'm just I'm just messing with George. He's going to go where he's assigned. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Matt Jones in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. George Sedano, ESPN NB reporter covering Warriors, Mavs. Real quick, though, George, is there anything you need to get off your chest from last night? No, this that series is a complete disaster. Like, we don't know what the <laughs> hell is going to happen. All we know is that regardless of who it is, somebody's going to blow the other team out for the most part or have like a 20 or 30-point lead at some point in the game. All right, so you're at the game, and I'm going to listen to the broadcast because why wouldn't I? But let's just assume that you're sitting at home and you're trying to convince people that this game is not – this series isn't over, that game four is going to be competitive, and that it's worth tuning into. George, tell me why not just to expect that this series ends in a sweep and we all get to go to bed early this evening. Well, look, I just think that the Mavs have hit or missed, pardon me, a lot of open looks. You know, I talked to Jason Kidd earlier, and he's re- repeated this a number of times, really, that since the Warriors have gone to this wacky boxing one and uh, zone defense they've been trying to play on Luka, Luka's been fine, and he's been getting the ball to the guys. They just haven't been able to knock down the open looks that they're getting specifically from the corners. So he feels like if they just get a decent amount, not even nailing all of them, obviously, because you couldn't do that, but if they just get a decent amount, that they would be in this series, and they probably would have won at least one game. George, how dysfunctional is a team that depends that much on the three? Well, he said it in one of his post games the other night. He said, you live by the three, you die by the three. I know it's an old adage and a cliche, but in this particular case, especially nowadays in the NBA, that really is – the way it works, you can look at most games on any given night, regular season or postseason. Go look at the three-point numbers. Whoever yeah. has hit more generally it wasn't last to night. Win. That's really... what we were just talking about, though. How wild it was yeah. that the Heat were so bad that they hit twice as many threes and they still lost by thirty. Right. It doesn't. That doesn't happen. That's an outlier for sure yeah. in that situation. But generally speaking, that's been the case. And the reality is, with the Mavs, is that a lot of their guys, you know. It, I just don't understand how some of them in particular, like a Maxi Kleba, let's say, he really is the key to what they do when they go small. Like, he plays the small ball center, and he's still doing a decent job defensively, but, man, does he look shook when he's out there. I mean, he's passed up a ton of open looks in this series, and 
at some point you have to be able to bring those guys out, that, whether it's Kevon Looney or Draymond Green, to defend on the perimeter. That gives you an opportunity to then swing the ball perhaps one more time and get the ball in the cup and get in the, the ball into the paint. All right, I'm going to go with my theory with you because I don't feel like I got to take her in Sarah earlier. I, okay. It seems to me that as the NBA has become more and more reliant on three-point shooting, and it's just become such a part of every team's game, that because of the variance in three-point shooting, because a couple of misses here and there can produce big discrepancies in scores, that this that is the explanation to me for why one team wins by 25 one night and loses by 25 the next night. Do you agree with that, or am I just I'm an, an idiot? Oh, no, no. I think it plays a role in it. I don't think there's any question that that's the case. I mean, is it the only thing? Probably not. But I, I would imagine that if, if we're doing a pie, right, a pie chart of what contributes to that, I'd probably say it's the majority of the pie when you try to factor in other things. Like, look, obviously there's going to be opportunities where teams are just cold. Um, sometimes the defense just stinks on a given night and guys just are, you know, not rotating the right way. But, yeah, I, I would agree with that, that I think that that's probably the – largest of the determining factors it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Matt Jones filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN radio we're talking to George Sedano ESPN NBA reporter you can follow him at Sedano he's out as the Warriors try to close out the Mavs what would you have to see tonight for the Mavs to get a win well, there's been three key guys as far as the biggest discrepancy in wins and losses and we know Luke has been great but the three guys are Jalen Brunson, biggest discrepancy when they win as to when they lose. His field goal percentage goes near, down nearly 10% in losses. Same with Spencer Dinwiddie. It's around 10 or 12% the difference. And then, even though he did have a good game in the last game, and then I mentioned Maxi Kleba, and this is the one that's really bad, which is why I was saying it's really a detriment to them when he's not even taking the shots. But in wins, he's shooting 63% from the field. In losses, he's shooting 35%. And in the wins, he's taking a lot of shots. So I, I think that they need those three guys in particular because Luka's just not getting a lot of help. I believe the number was going into game three that he had made 129 shots in this postseason and that only 18% of his shots were assisted means that uh, someone else was actually getting him the ball in a place where he could succeed he is literally mm. carrying almost the entire load it does look to me going back for a second to uh to, to maxi cleaver he's just scared and i hate to say that yeah. about someone mm -hmm. but i don't know what else you can say it just feels like he is just absolutely terrified out there is that how you see it well matt there's really not a ton of other explanations i think sometimes maybe scared is a little a little excessive but I, i'm i'm kind of leaning in your direction at the very least because it does seem that at times the moments can swallow people up we've seen it historically through sports not just the nba i mean obviously the most infamous one in the nba i guess if we went back and looked at an individual was nick anderson you know back in the day with the orlando magic right but there have been plenty of moments like that throughout the history of sports so you know, I, I, I don't want to bury Maxi Kleba just yet because he could still kind of find his way in, in this particular game and perhaps be someone that can help contribute to a victory. But I, I do think he's one of the necessary components. As crazy as that sounds, I know somebody listening in their car is like, really, it's going to boil down to Maxi Kleba? And I'm <laughs> telling you, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be – he's going to play a factor in this. There's no doubt.
listen, George, when we know the statistics for Luca scoring 40-plus and what happens when he doesn't get enough help, they don't win those games. So it is going to be about those other guys showing up. George Sedano is with us. Hey, it feels like this could be the end for the Mavs, and if not tonight, maybe the next game. What's the biggest thing they need to do in the offseason? I know you and I have been on around the horn behind the scenes talking to Kalashaw about whether or not locally they get enough pressure, and he says they do for not taking advantage of Luka. But what else do they need to do to make sure that they don't get another season where they come up against this ceiling? Well, they're going to have to get creative, and I, I like the move that they made for Spencer Dinwiddie. It was addition by subtraction with Kristaps Porzingis, who just clearly didn't mesh with Luka. I think Dinwiddie's a nice player, but if they can get another star somehow, now I don't know their cap off the top of my head, so I don't know what kind of free agency dollars they would have. But clearly, if you're a free agent, you have to look at this team and what they've been able to accomplish with Luka and, for lack of a better phrase, a ton of role players. You would have to think that if you're the right star, you can come here and potentially win a championship because Luka, to me, is on the trajectory already to being an all-timer. So I, I think that, that that's just kind of what they have to do. They have to be aggressive in free agency with the right guy and then be smart as far as whatever trade possibilities there are. Now, I do have one more question for Matt. Um, yes. Where were you more nervous? Were you more nervous on real time with Bill Maher and Katie Couric or more <laughs> nervous doing this show with Sarah Spain talking to me? I feel like I feel like both of you are difficult crowds, but my mom grew up watching Katie Couric. Or my, no, I mean, I grew up watching my mom think Katie Kirk was the best person on earth. So I was <laughs> yeah. terrified because I was looking around. There's Katie Kirk. There's Bill Maher. You know who's not qualified to be here? Me. And that's how I felt the entire time. So it was very nerve-wracking. But thank you for I watching. I mean, frankly, that. I'm insulted that you feel qualified to be talking to us. But, I <laughs> well, mean, fair fine, enough. whatever, whatever. Uh, well, George, thanks it, for the time. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, I enjoyed – I thought you belonged, Matt. Okay, so how about that? Sarah, there you go. thank you so much. Great to talk <laughs> to you guys. Thank Enjoy you. the game. Thanks, George. Uh, NBA playoffs right here on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight for Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals as the Mavs host the Warriors. Presented by Indeed, coverage begins at 8.30 Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Good stuff from George. We took it easy on him, not asking too much about that terrible Heat game. Coming up, NHL playoffs continue to be thrilling, but they had a moment off the ice – that the league and teams didn't handle as they could. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The Stanley Cup playoffs have been thrilling. The first round had five or six seven-game series, unfortunately for the Panthers, an early exit, but it's been thrilling across the board. But one story has stood out. I'm going to get into it next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Matt Jones in for Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Last night... Nazem Kadri getting a hat trick to help lead the Avs over the Blues. And here's what he said after the game. And unfortunately, I've been dealing with that for a long time. You know, that's uh, sad to say, but that's just the fact of the matter. I'm getting good at just putting it in the rearview mirror. Um, it's a big deal. I try to act like it's not and uh, just keep moving forward. So, you know, that's what I do. And, you know, I know that doesn't reflect uh, those, some of those messages I got. It doesn't reflect every single fan in St. Louis. But, um, you know, for those that, uh, that hate, that one's for them. Kadri talking about the death threats and the racism he received, his wife posting some of the messages that he's gotten, and a notable lack of uh, commentary from the Blues about the fans who have done that, from the NHL, um, from everyone, really. And Scott Burnside, senior hockey writer at DailyFaceOff.com, wrote about that. Scott, I wonder what you made of Nazem after the game, basically having to advocate for himself in the absence of others doing so. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's a great point, and I was – 
uh, it was so impressive, really, to not only see what Nazem Kadri did on the ice in almost single-handedly uh, pushing the St. Louis Blues to the, the the brink of elimination in their second-round series, but then to, you know, I thought really put it in uh, in some sort of. Uh, there's no proper context for this, but to put it into some um, some sort of context that explained how he and his family. Uh, what they endured over the last few days leading up to game four, um, the kinds of things that were said. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's aware by now that uh, Nazan's wife, uh, wife actually uh, was, you know, shared some of the online yeah. comments. And it, it's, it's heartbreaking to read and to see. Um, but I thought Nazan Kadri handled himself extremely well post-game. Uh, and in saying, you know, this is this is for the haters. It, it's not for everyone, right? This, this isn't everyone out there. It's not all the St. Louis fans. It's none of that. But there there are far too many of them. And this was for them. And I thought it was beautifully said. Um, I just wish, you know, to me, this was an opportunity for the game to, to sort of come together. I, I, I was back looking. It feels like a long time ago, almost two years ago, uh, during the bubble playoffs in in Edmonton, and uh, Matt Dumba comes out and makes a speech um, uh, against systemic racism right. in the wake of the George Floyd murder. Players linked arms; they uh, they supported each other. Um, when one of their own players, Nazem Kadri, is, is attacked and the police are, are involved, I just thought I was just disappointed, frankly, that there wasn't a stronger voice from across the game that came out and said, hey, we are with you. This has no place in our game. And and I thought it was an opportunity missed um, by a lot of people, frankly. Well, one of those groups of people, what about the Blues organization? I mean, mm-hmm. do you believe that they, uh, you know, it's ultimately it's their fan base. Do you believe that they should have uh, sort of stepped up and done more or, or at least been louder about their pronouncements? Yeah, well, for sure. And I thought it was, I thought it was disappointing. Craig Berube, the head coach, um, you know, asked about it in the, at the morning skate in the morning media briefing before game four and to, to have no comment on it. Listen, I understand the rationale. Listen, we're in a playoff series. You know, Craig Berube made his feelings well known about how, about Nazem Kadri and certainly the collision uh, in game three that led to uh, to Jordan Bennington's injury, and you know, there's a lot of layers to this, and and those layers contributed to this outpouring of hate. And and I thought uh, I didn't think it was great how the Blues responded after Bennington was hurt. Listen, it was a, there was no penalty called in the play. I, I really don't see how anyone says this is an intentional move by by Nazem Kadri. It's ridiculous to consider that. Um, and then it, when you understand the kind of ramifications, you understand what has gone on in that community and the hatred and the threats, all of that kind of stuff, it would have taken nothing to have said, listen, we're in the middle of a playoff series, but I'm going to step back here. This has no place in our game. I was disappointed that Craig Berube didn't say that. I was disappointed there wasn't anything from the Blues as an organization. And frankly, even Jared Jared Bednar, the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, even before the game, um, you know, again, I know they're trying to keep the focus on the game. To me, this was a moment that is a reminder that this is just a game. And we need to be vigilant about the hatred everywhere, but certainly within the game of hockey. And this was an opportunity to talk about it and talk about it um, in a way that was could have been a unifying uh, kind of message to the community. And 
and frankly, that message was not said and, and certainly didn't really get said until after the game and then mostly by Nazem Kadri himself. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Matt Jones filling in for Fitz tonight. We're talking to Scott Burnside, senior hockey writer at dailyfaceoff.com about Nazem Kadri's hat trick and the response after the game um, and the lack of response from others around the game to the hateful comments that his wife made public and to the death threats that required them to involve police. You know, there was a story on 538 a couple years ago around um, the time of, of George Floyd and uh, pronounced acts by different leagues uh, to speak out against racism. And in the story, it talked about the demographics of hockey, 77% white in terms of the fan base and not very liberal um, compared to the majority of other major leagues, um, 35% Republican, 36% independent, just 22% Democratic. I wonder if you believe that the NHL puts out stuff like hockey is for everyone and has moments of attempting to claim an interest in diversity, but if maybe some of the lack of real depth to those those statements comes from a, a, a current concern about, a, you know, somehow scaring away or insulting their core demographic. Like, is there actually a route to why it feels so empty when the NHL tries to claim efforts into DEI? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair question. And it, and and as you go back to the start of the bubble playoffs in, in 2020 and, you know, Matt Dumba's speech and all those the things I mentioned earlier, if you remember, it, I mean, it took the NHL a day or two to sort of catch up, right? I remember, mm-hmm. I think, you know, coaches were asked about it and they seemed not to know or not to have anything to say. And it did take the players an extra day or so to, you know, to come to a decision on how they were going to react to something that the NBA reacted to almost instantly. And, and you know, is, is that a, is it, I, when I say the culture of hockey, I don't mean it as a mostly white um game but the culture of hockey is not to draw attention to yourself as a player it's something the nhl struggled with for literally years and years in terms of promoting its its star players it it, it it's sort of counterintuitive to how nhl players view their role within the team so maybe i'm making excuses for them well that but makes sense I, I for do, that makes I, sense I think, for stuff like players not wanting social media which we've talked to some of the marketing folks in the NHL about pulling teeth to get them to promote themselves but it, it it's actually counterintuitive to supporting someone on their own team or within the quote unquote hockey family in a situation like this. It doesn't fly as yeah. an excuse for why they wouldn't stand up for him. Right. No, I, and I totally and, and and listen, I you know as I wrote today I said what what an opportunity for Gabriel Landeskog, the captain of the Avs, and Ryan O'Reilly, the captain of the Blues, uh, you know, to come out together and, and, and say something together. Or Craig Berube and Jared Bednar, or, you know, whatever. You know, again, maybe I live in the fantasy world. To me, that was a great opportunity to say, hey, we're going to step back for a second and, and we're going to support our, our, our colleague and, and shine a light on reprehensible behavior by what would hope is a small group uh, you know, with I don't even—they're probably not even fans. But anyway, uh, but to your question about how you know how the league tries to, you know, sort of follow up on these catchphrases, the hockey is for everyone. I I do think it's a slow slow process. I think it's hard to get your arms around. I, I did a piece earlier. Um, there's a great program that the NHL Coaches Association um, has embarked on. It's a mentorship program with uh, BIPOC 
uh, coaches in North America and uh, the Arizona Coyotes opened their door um, to two of those coaches in the fall. It's a great documentary, uh, NHL Bound. You should uh, listen or watch it if you can. Um, so there are, I do think there are, I think there is an attempt to put, you know, to put your money where your mouth is if you're the league. Um, but but when it's something like this happens, to me it just tells me that there is still an enormous disconnect to saying things and, you know, wanting people to believe that you stand for certain things. Um, when, when something like this happens and, and people uh, are, are painfully quiet about stepping forward and saying, you know what, this is wrong. And even though we don't like this guy and we're sorry that he knocked our goalie out, we're going we're gonna to speak to a greater issue here. And, right. and that didn't happen. Let's switch gears for a second to uh, to the to the games. Right as as we speak, the Rangers are playing against the Hurricanes, and I'm a Hurricanes fan, and I'm also sort of a casual Scott. I mean, I'm just a guy who who likes the Hurricanes and watches the playoffs sometimes. But it does feel like to me this series in particular, but the playoffs in general have gotten more. I don't know interest in the general sporting public. Do you think that is because, well, now the games are on ESPN and we talk about things on ESPN? Or do you also think there's been something about these playoffs that have made people like me maybe pay a little bit more attention? Uh, you know what? I think it's probably both. And, and it's not just ESPN, although we certainly like to doff our cap to ESPN and, and mm-hmm. the, the work that they're doing there. My old pal Steve Levy, great to see him uh, back on hockey screens every night. Uh, but the work that TNT is doing as well, and I think, you know, again, you know, that sort of symbiotic relationship that we've seen with national broadcasters with baseball and basketball, which has never been the case really with hockey. I, I think that is being, you don't have to search for the games. You don't have to hunt, oh, geez, you know, which channel is this on tonight? You know you can find it easily. And, and the Rangers are a compelling team. And to your point about interest, that's a young Ranger team. I don't know if they beat the Hurricanes or not. But they are going to be heard from season after season now because they are so well-built and so talented. And I think that has all, you know, sort of goes to this greater interest in this playoff year. And there's so much drama of the playoffs in 2022 has been off the charts. And, and I'm, you know, however it finishes up, I expect we'll see some more. Absolutely. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for the time. You can follow him at Overtime Scott B. Thanks. Appreciate it. Anytime. And now, a no frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You can save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or progressive.com. Coming up, we're going to hear from Steve Kerr, who spoke to the media in the wake of the horrific school shooting today at an elementary school in Texas and called for change. You're going to need to hear this. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We started out the show telling you that Our only answer to the awful news of the day and the balance of giving you the sports that you came here for while acknowledging what we're all mourning right now uh, was to power through and talk to you about what's going on in sports. And those have intersected in a powerful way before the Mavs-Warriors game. Warriors are up 3-0, hoping to win that series. But Steve Kerr's comments were too powerful not to share. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Matt Jones in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, by the way. Um, you might recall, uh, and a lot of people did not learn this until the last dance. Uh, those of us who followed the Bulls had, had heard of this 
before, but Steve Kerr's father was, was assassinated. He was a university professor at the American University of Beirut, and it was the middle of the Lebanese Civil War when he was there. It was a dangerous time for American citizens. There were bombings and such. And in 1984, when Kerr was very young, he was shot and killed outside his office. And Steve Kerr has had very strong thoughts on social issues, political issues, and gun issues. And today, before the game, uh, all he wanted to talk about was the horrific mass shooting in Texas at an elementary school today. I believe the numbers are up to 18 kids now who were murdered. And uh, here's what Steve Kerr had to say. In Southern California, and now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on HR 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up, I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight, but I want every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild, or mother or father or sister, brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. You realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check. 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. I, I know that there are people out there, Matt, who will say shut up and dribble or sports are a distraction, but asking human beings to ignore the horrific nature of what went on today to get up in front of a bunch of people and do what we've had to do here tonight, which is talk about sports and ignore what really matters, is too much, particularly for someone like Steve Kerr, who cares very deeply about these things and who has been touched by gun violence in his own life. And honestly, I commend him for being willing to get up there and do that. And I, I certainly hope across the country, whether it's basketball coaches or reporters or Congress people, I, I know I saw at least one um, standing up and, and speaking out um, extemporaneously, Senator Murphy of Connecticut um, on the Senate floor today, uh, that you got to keep the energy the problem is, is that we we just witnessed the worst mass shooting of the year 10 days ago, and it's already been replaced by the next worst one. 
um, it's 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 improbable to, to, to imagine just going on this way without making a change. Yeah, it's horribly sad. And, of course, Kerr has a, uh, a personal connection that makes it even stronger for him. But I, I, do, I, I do agree with two things he said. One, this is an issue where the vast majority of the American people agree. And I think that's the part that often gets overlooked. It's actually the politicians that don't agree. Mm-hmm. And, and secondly, though, there's a part of me that worried after Sandy Hook that when we didn't do anything then, right. that like that almost ended the debate. Because if that wasn't enough, what was it going to be? And another day like this, unfortunately, was inevitable. You know, I agree with you in, in the des- desperation in that moment, but we can't say that and accept it. Oh, we I can't agree. Say, you know, we I, can't I, shrug and you. we can't get so overwhelmed that we say when we didn't do anything then, we won't do it ever because um, – we need to come with as much anger and as much passion and as much intent for change that we can, even in these moments where it feels sort of sort of hopeless. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.